Welcome to Finding the Faith with me, your host, Frida Donnelly, where we explore what matters. Whether it's traversing someone's faith journey, diving deeper into doctrine, or simply enjoying Christian fellowship, I aim to focus on the good and the beautiful to provide you with some respite from the world. If you'd like to join us live, check out Finding the Faith on Rumble every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern. All the links are in the show notes down below. Please remember to rate and subscribe, and I'll see you on the other side. Everybody, and welcome to Finding the Faith, where we explore what matters. Please remember to like, and if you're new here, to subscribe so that you can join us every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern. All of my links are in the description below. So if you'd like to talk about the episode after the show, join us in Discord. And if you're in Discord, you'll also get to learn about all of the special fun little community events that we do, which I really enjoy because I absolutely love this community. I see Nana C, Margo, Mealy Brawler, who's on tonight. Mar- um, I see so many wonderful people in the chat and I love all of you so much. So thank you for coming. Thank you for being here. Um, Before we get started, I wanted to share that I'm also now a lifestyle columnist for the American Daily Press, which is so exciting. I get to work with amazing people and write really cool stuff, and I just shared a new article there. Kyle will drop the description, uh, not the description, Kyle will drop the link into the chat, (laughs) Um, and you'll get to read my piece if you want all about feedback. Um, It's that piece, like the advice within that piece has really served me and I hope it serves you as well. Thank you so much. Um, so yeah. Anyways, quick other little thing. I fell on some ice. It got icy here and then I slipped and I fell and I hurt my lap. But I'm fine. Don't worry, Kyle. Didn't do anything like feisty. <laughs> the cat didn't, you know, the cat wasn't feisty. Everything's all good here. But yeah, in case you're wondering, that's what happened. <laughs> Anyways, without further ado... Rick, how are you doing? I'm doing fan-freaking-tastic. How are you? I'm doing good. So, I have a little joke for you. Are you ready? All right, let's do it. What did the Romaine Catholic priest say? Uh, He he said, let us pray. (laughs) And I know how much this chat just absolutely adores dad jokes, especially my dear friend Margo. So I wanted to make sure I included one on the Sorry Catholic episode. (laughs) Excellent timing. So let's um, get onto it after, you know, the bad jokes are put to bed. Um, What are your first memories of religion? Ooh, interesting. So I guess the earliest moment I could think of was <laughs> oh this is terrible so it was sometime before my first communion mm-hmm. I don't remember what it was but I think it was like you had to go to the priest for something a blessing and I was playing um a game like you know I think it was old with Spider-Man I'm not really sure but anyways mm-hmm. I went to the priest and go hey can you bless my Game Boy and he's it was uh sure and he actually <laughs> he actually blessed the console <laughs> it, was, it was hysterical I didn't think he would do it because it didn't seem like that kind of thing but he did anyways that was kind of nice uh, and then the other second one right after that was, of course, my first communion. That's when I had it for the very first time. And I'll say this, though, my um, Catholic school journey might mm-hmm. sound a bit unorthodox. So I did the part where, like, you went up to the first communion. But typically mm-hmm. what usually happens is you would still go to, like, Sunday school every year until 
you do your confirmation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't do that. <laughs> it's not like I didn't go. I think I just, my parents didn't sign me up or something. I'm not sure what happened, but I ended up not going until um, around my junior year of high school. I was supposed to go a mm-hmm. bit earlier to do the uh, confirmation classes, but something happened. I ended up doing it later. Mm-hmm. So I did that for about one more year, and then I got my confirmation, and then rest is history. Okay, so just out of curiosity, because I've had a lot of friends, you know, get married of all different religions, and you have to be confirmed to get married in the Catholic Church, right? Yeah, that's a okay. that's a big one. <clears throat> okay, because I know um, marriage is a sacrament in that religion. Yeah, it's actually one of the seven sacraments, in fact. Would you like to share with us what the other six are? Not to put you on the spot, but... Yeah, sure. So basically, uh, they broke down three categories. There's sacraments of initiation, um, service, and then there's the the sacraments of healing. So mm-hmm. start with initiation. There's baptism. That's basically when you... And this, for us, it happens typically very, very young, when you're a couple months after you're born. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, how it works is your parents and your godparents who are chosen by your parents, uh, they would essentially... Um, have you, like, maybe as you ever have, like, they'll put the the oil on, like, your forehead when you're super mm-hmm. young, and then through that process, you get initiated into the church, and then the second step is communion, where you get the, the bread for the very first time. That happens around, like, I would say third grade, which around the time I did it. That's usually mm-hmm. around that point. Then the third and final one is confirmation. That's when you essentially affirm that, yes, you want to be part of the church. You want to walk this path. This is what you want, and at that point, the initiation phase is fully complete. Mm-hmm. And each of these sacraments are done once in your lifetime. So once you do them, there typically is no repeating part. That's basically it. Mm-hmm. And then as for healing, we have um, two. So first, there's the anointing of the sick. And mm-hmm. this is typically done right before the end of somebody's life, where they get the first communion for the very last time. The priest says a prayer over them. And then once the is complete, <clears throat> they are essentially all set for when they, you know, whenever they pass away. And yeah, mm-hmm. like typically it's usually done like when it's near the end. Like if let's say you have like I don't know, like stage four terminal brain cancer mm-hmm. and um you know it's nearing the end, they you can call the priest, have them come in, they'll go through the process. And okay. it's usually yeah, my, like my grandfather, he was a Catholic. Um and so that I remember um the week that he was like starting to he had a lot of um, different terminal illnesses, but he actually, weirdly enough, didn't die from any of his terminal illnesses. That man was supposed to die like so many times in his life, and he was just like, nah, no thanks. But um, unfortunately, when he did end up passing, the week that he did pass, that was when he um, had that sacrament. Right. Yeah, that, that's yeah. about right. Although they do recommend when you're doing that, make sure you call a little bit early because if you wait until like right after at the deathbed, it might be too late. So yeah. if you're doing that, make sure you're planning it out. And the other major sacrament of healing is actually the sacrament of reconciliation, also mm-hmm. known as um, confession. This is essentially when, uh, particularly in cases of mortal sin, you would um, you would uh, basically enter with the priest and you would essentially just explain like what you had done and that you regret what you have done, and priest would like essentially uh, on your behalf would receive on behalf of the Lord in your case, and it would not only a path of forgiveness to God, but also reconciliation with the church and your release of, like, your deaths. Mm-hmm. Typically, there's also some kind of penance involved, depending on, like, the severity of the sin. But essentially, once the process is complete, um, mm-hmm. you're made by church again, you can receive communion again, because if you're in the same moral sin, you actually cannot receive first communion. So it's very, very important that if you know any more sins you've done, be sure to take care of that, and, you know, you'll be good to go. <clears throat> that makes a lot of sense. 
Um, All right. Oh, I'm sorry. There's two more. <laughs> now we're, we covered healing. We covered initiation. Then let me cover service real quick. So okay. there's actually two forms of service. Uh, the first one is actually the sacrament of holy orders. This is actually the process of becoming part of the clergy of the church. Mm-hmm. And there's sort of different roles you can take on. There's the diaconate, the priesthood. You can become a bishop. And also, the bishop, depending on your rank, you become possibly, that's actually how you get, become the pope in this case. Um, interestingly enough, uh, depending on what kind of right in the church you're taking, mm-hmm. um, you either can or cannot like get married afterwards. I think it's, if I recall correctly, it might be possible to be married beforehand, but once you get the sacrament of holy orders, once you actually become a priest, for example, you cannot receive, like, you cannot get married. It's okay. just a hard rule there. Um, but I think very, you go down to, like, deeper, it can vary on there, but mm-hmm. that's the general rule of thumb. Now, the other one, of course, is marriage, which is kind of circled mm-hmm. back to the very beginning of this whole conversation. Um, yeah, this is the one where the man and woman are joined together as one being, as one flesh, and really beautiful process done within the church and basically at the core the fundamental purpose of marriage on a broad sense is to essentially uh, grow your faith in the lord and grow close in a way that would be possible as a single person that's one of the mm-hmm. important that's why it's so important that when you do get married that you find the right person one Absolutely. that's going to walk with you one that's going to put god first and one that's going to ensure that your children uh, continuing the faith journey that you're currently on. Mm-hmm. And if you're a woman, also one that will be a good leader and one that will help make sure that they're not leading you into temptation, but rather leading you into a even more fulfilling relationship with Jesus. Oh, absolutely. Because I know after, I know sometimes, you know, individuals are fortunate where they grow up in, you know, different churches, whether it's, you know, Protestant or Catholic or what have you. And they get to see how, you know, their husband or their wife like enters into that relationship. But with me, it was kind of the opposite because my husband and I were, you know, saved after we were already together. And so watching how Jesus works with him to lead our family is really beautiful. And that's something like that, is a purpose of marriage. And that's why, you know, it's so important to marry only in the Lord. Right. Absolutely. Now, granted, if you find yourself in a situation where um, you are married to like a non-believer, for example, is not entirely the end. In fact, St. Paul actually discusses situations where like, um, if you lead well, you can actually save your spouse to save the soul of your spouse who Mm -hmm. is of a non-believer. And that can be a really wonderful, special thing. At the same time, he also says that, like, if that particular individual were to leave for whatever reason, you know, the Lord will not fault you against it because, again, they were a non-believer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, in normal circumstances, divorce is not allowed. It's not a thing in the church. Mm-hmm. But I think it's one of those um, cases where um, there's a bit of wiggle room there. Though in the ideal scenario, it would be like one Catholic marriage another Catholic. That's like the best case scenario. I mean, you can marry a non-believer. And you also marry a Protestant, too. Like, if it's like a Christian, but they're not Catholic, that can work, too. There's just a lot of, like, hurdles you would have to get through yeah. um, to ensure that, you know, you're in the right path, your kid's in the right path, and there's your faith journey. It's a bit difficult, but it's totally possible. And I've seen couples who've made it work and made it thrive. Exactly. Exactly. That's really important to bring about, too. So thank you for mentioning that. Okay. This isn't, you know, to be a discouragement, but rather an encouragement to everybody. Um, So can you share a bit about like what your upbringing was like in the Catholic faith and a bit more about your background? 
Yeah, mine's a little bit fascinating. So basically, when I was uh, very, very young, I wasn't like as into the faith. I think, like, you know, I went to church with mm-hmm. my mom and we did the things there. But outside of that, I didn't really take it too seriously, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, mainly because my focus at the time was just, you know, doing well in school, getting a college, getting a job, things on those lines. My faith just, yeah. just wasn't, a, it was not that I hated per se, it just wasn't a priority. Mm-hmm. A lot of that kind of changed around like the 2016 ish era because. Mm-hmm. At the time, I was dating someone in high school, but that relationship ended in disaster and tragedy. I was completely heartbroken by it. I was completely lost. And then lo and behold, uh, that's when I sort of stumbled my way really into the faith. So after my confirmation, I sort of actually began reading the Bible for the very first time. Started getting it there. I showed up at first, I read the King James Version, which can be tough to read depending on what your experience there. But as I kept reading, as I kept studying, I got better and better. And now, um, now I read the Revised Standard Version these days, but I I think through that little by little, I started to grow a lot more. And I went from like, like, it's kind of crazy though. Like in the spam of roughly eight years, I went from barely knowing anything about the Catholic faith to running a faith-based podcast with a Protestant for over a year. So that's amazing. (laughs) It's truly phenomenal how much one's life can change when they just open themselves to the Lord. Absolutely. God is so good. And he's, you know, willing to work with us wherever we're at so that we can become, you know, like we're already made in his image, but so that we can become sanctified more and more. And it's always like an ongoing process. Mm-hmm. As I say, whenever, you know, I sped off while gaming, I'm like, oops, sorry. <laughs> Those in the Minecraft server in my community know that sometimes that happens when all the zombies decide to eat me at once. Rude. <laughs> Um, um, so one of the things that I've heard, you know, a lot more talk about lately and have really been curious about is the rosary. Can you tell us more about the rosary, such as what, like, the significance is within Catholic spirituality and how it's impacted your life? Ooh, yeah, I got a fascinating story for that one. So I think what I'll do is I'll just walk through the history of how it came to be, and then I can sort of elaborate on that detail. So... Uh, basically, the rosary has several roots in early Christian prayer tradition. Uh, mm-hmm. They share similar formats to the rosary repetitive structures of prayers. I guess you're example, probably around the third century, where Christian hermits and monks in Egypt used stones and layered prayer ropes to keep track when praying 150 psalms. Uh, various forms of what we call the Jesus prayers, such as Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, became popular. The short prayer was said over and over again in a type of mantra with while counting the beads. The Our Father was also prayed 150 times using a string of beads with five decades referred to as a paternostrum, Latin for our father. And after that, we get to the Hail Mary prayer, which actually is a very fascinating development in and of itself, as mm-hmm. it came together slowly over the course of over a millennia. And mm-hmm. basically, the earliest version started off with Mar- with Mary's name to the message, so by the angel Gabriel to Mary. This is quoting Luke um, 1, verse 28, where it says, Hail Mary, full grace, the Lord is with thee. This actual Gabriel... Um, uh, greets Mary when he's her very first time. Uh, and then around 150 AD, the words Elizabeth, Elizabeth used to greet Mary during the visitation were added, uh, blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Um, and for those who don't know, Elizabeth is actually Mary's cousin, and she is the mother of John the Baptist, who would go on to baptize Jesus in the in the river. So, mm-hmm. huge figure right there. And then in 1261, Pope Urban the Fourth added the name of Jesus to the end of Elizabeth's word. And that's like right after the work wound. 
and then St. Peter Canisius published the Hail Mary in his 1555 Catechism with almost the entire final petition, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for sinners. That was added after all these other words. And then 11 years after that, the Catechism of the Council of Trent, a work that Canisius was instrumental in creating, included, for the very first time, the entire final petition, concluding with the words, Now and at the offer to his amen. So the final prayer, uh, as approved in 1568, the final complete version goes along the lines of this. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And Amen. now, <laughs> now I'm going to briefly dive into the history of the beads, and then I'll talk about my own history with the rosary in just a sec. So, yeah, it's fascinating. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> yeah, it, there's a lot going on here. Uh, so Catholics actually were not the first to pray with beads. Uh, the exact origin of the prayer beads in question are unknown. Many women of many faiths and cultures, typically pre-Christian reduced faiths, have to use beads to pray. In fact, that word in particular is that derived from an old English word, bead, meaning prayer. Uh, the use of prayer beads almost universally is allowed the person to keep track of the number of prayers that have been said, while at the same time focusing on the deeper meaning of prayers themselves. So it's almost like a compilation of prayers. So that's just a little thing, you're kind of doing it all together. Um, so then while praying with the beads certainly was an original idea, it's a powerful reminder that everything before the coming of Jesus was preparing for that moment, and that God yearns to transform everything into something holy, even something as ordinary as a small rope and some beads on it. In fact, uh, there's actually two other examples I can think of where something more secular or pagan was turned into a Christian symbol. The first is actually a Christmas tree, where I don't know what bait that was from, but basically St. Nicholas chopped down a tree that was used to symbol says, nope, for now on, this is going to glorify the Lord. And that became the first Christmas tree. And then the other one, oddly enough, was coffee. Oh, really? Yeah, so basically how it went was that coffee was actually first cultivated in the Middle East by mm -hmm. um, essentially the... the um, by the Muslims down there. I forget what they were called. I believe it was the Ottoman Empire. I'm not really sure. Mm -hmm. But it was around That's that time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they basically got someone got coffee from there to Europe. And at first, the Europeans hated it because, like, you know, so the Muslims, the infidels, and they're like, oh, this is the devil's tree. We shouldn't touch this. So they went to the Pope. And they basically asked the Pope at the time to condemn the dream, to call it evil. And he's like, wait a minute. Why don't we just try this first before we start doing anything crazy? So he takes a sip. And he loves the coffee so much, he actually blessed it. And because of that, it became the official drink of the Catholic Church for quite a while. That's so cool. Did you know that today, too, you can actually, that coffee also has a really useful purpose? If you use North Arrow coffee, you can actually, all 15% um, of the proceeds go to support pro-life pregnancy centers and all sorts of amazing resources. Do you want a delicious brew that shares your values too? Look no further than North Arrow Coffee. North Arrow Coffee is a pro-life veteran-owned business that I am proud to have as a sponsor. Not only do they have a delicious, superior product, they also pledge to donate at least 15% of their sales to organizations that support and advocate for the pre-born, help families facing crisis pregnancies, and offer healing to those who have been affected by abortion in a gospel-centered way. Order North Arrow Coffee today. You can do so by going to northarrowcoffee.co, and when you use code FRIDA, F-R-E-D-A, you'll save 10% off your first order. So, yes. That was a really solid transition. <laughs> Thank you. I was like, oh, he brought up coffee. <laughs> That was not planned. But anyways, continue. <laughs> All right. 
Yeah, that was the just. All right, so now going back to my experience with the rosary, mm-hmm. I actually didn't start praying the rosary until about a few years ago during uh, COVID of all things. Because um, at the time, while that was going on, my mom had started watching this show where, like, it was run by a sister. I can't remember her name. Mm-hmm. But she would basically would essentially pray the rosary along with these other groups, and they would televise it, and my mom would pray along with it. Then she invited me to go along. I started uh, doing it. I, it felt kind of awkward at first. I haven't done a prayer of that style before. Typically, when I pray, I would either just pray to our Father or I'd do more of a freeform style prayer, mm-hmm. like whenever I'm at night or in the morning. Um, but it was a bit different. But like the more I, the more I kept doing it, the easier it became to do. Especially mm-hmm. just getting into the rhythm of things, you know, praying along, it just um, really helped to make that process a lot easier. And it was especially useful when during 2020, when all that rioting yeah. stuff was going on, my sister and I had a pretty tense argument. We weren't really talking to each other, mm-hmm. and oddly enough, through the rosary of all things, it helped to bring us closer together, heal a lot the damage caused during a time period. That's amazing. Praise Jesus. That's that's really awesome. I know how tenuous a lot of that was during 2020 because I went through some <laughs> stuff with my own family. So I know how hard that is. And that's amazing that the Rosary was able to bring that back to, you know, that's awesome. I'm really happy. Um, Whispers of a Dragon in chat says, the Rosary is ritualistic, but also filled with a transcendent beauty. Oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. I remember my mom always had her prayer beads on her because I was baptized Catholic and I sort of grew up Catholic before everything happened. Um, But how has your understanding of Jesus and his teachings evolved over the years? That's that's a great one. Um, Yeah, so in the beginning, I knew how important Jesus was from the get-go because, you know, Mm -hmm. during a Catholic Mass, like a third of the readings were dedicated to the gospel, so Christ was at the forefront there. Um... But I think it was really until I started reading the Bible regularly that I started to really understand uh, not only Christ's message, but also everything leading up to it and how Jesus essentially was the culmination of everything that God had been able to God had not only promised to Abraham, but also mm-hmm. ultimately to our first parents, Adam and Eve, how, you know, the man would ultimately crush, the son of the woman would like crush the serpent. And mm-hmm. essentially through that one event, that pivotal moment, mm-hmm. it made it so that not just you know, the sins of Abraham, the Jews, but also everyone can be saved. Yeah, absolutely. That's something we really appreciated about the book, um, about the Gospel of John, because it was actually the first Bible book my husband and I completed reading together, which we just completed last week. And so now we're going back through Matthew and like going from there, because we were told um, actually by one of y'all in chat that that's where we should start, because Initially, so we started in Genesis and we kind of like fell off because we weren't used to Bible reading. And then we were like, okay, well, Quirks is doing, you know, the story of Genesis. And then we were like, okay, let's read John because like everybody was like, you should read John, you should read John. And now that we have a more fuller understanding of Jesus, which I know is just going to grow more and more, it really allows us to have that whole appreciation for what everything is truly all about. Right. Oh, by the way, fun fact about John. If you ever hear a line about like the one the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's a direct mm-hmm. reference to John. In fact, of the four gospels, John was the only one that was written by a direct disciple of Jesus Christ. The other three were kind of written after the fact by people who joined the faith but joined a little bit later. Uh, mm-hmm. two of them were Jews who became Christians, Luke, 
um, was actually a pagan initially before he joined the faith. So he's his more of like a scientific approach to it, which is pretty fascinating. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah, that's actually what my friend Seth recommended with Bible reading. It's like you start with the Gospels to get the story of Jesus. Then you go back to the Old Testament to learn why everything in the Gospels is necessary. And once you do all that, then you read the letters and the Acts and then the rest is history. I think that's the way we're going to go about it, you know, moving forward, because it's really been edifying for us and also a structured, logistical way to go about it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah. Also, another important detail to share mm -hmm. when you're reading the Bible is that the New Testament is hidden in the Old and the Old Testament gets um, really amplified in the New. Like, so as you when you go to the Old Testament, you're reading through it. Keep an eye over some of those like hints towards Jesus, because even in early Genesis, there's hints towards uh, his coming, his red, his you know his um, life and resurrection, all that. And mm -hmm. if you, especially in the prophetic books, you're gonna see little hints here or there. So keep an eye out for that. Okay, that's what I was trying to do. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, I really appreciate that. Now, one of these questions, one of my friends was like, "Oh, you should ask him this." And so, what is your perspective on the relationship between faith and reason within the Catholic tradition? Ooh, that's that's a fascinating one. So, uh, basically, faith and reason are both important uh, for different reasons. In fact, you know, Saint Peter once said that, um, you know, use your reason to defend your faith. Let's because like, because um, the fascinating thing is that through reason you can actually figure out that God exists. Um, because if you think about it, with the way the world is, the way things are mm -hmm. structured, none of this has to exist. This computer doesn't have to exist. This website has to exist both the ones that we're streaming on and the one that's like playing this video feed, like the rooms we're in, mm -hmm. the streets outside, the lights in the day and the night, none of it has to exist. But the fact that it does exist implies that there is a creator out there who not only made all this, but made it for us yeah. so that we could use it. And that alone should let you know, Hey, there's something or someone out there who did all of this at the same time. Uh, reason alone would not be the key to knowing God because you can also, if you're not careful, reason your way out of faith. Mm -hmm. And so the key with faith there is sort of a combination of belief and trust, not only in believing God, knowing that he's real, that he cares, but also trusting that he will come through for you and be faithful to his word. Because the thing about man is that you cannot have blind faith in man, for man will always fail you. But mm -hmm. if you put your trust in the Lord, you're going to thrive because he will never fail you. Now, granted, he may not give you everything you want. He's not a genie after all. However, he will give you what you need to mm -hmm. thrive on this earth and to do the things that he has called you to do. And the thing about God, especially when you look throughout the Bible, is that he never calls the qualified. He always qualifies the called. Because you look mm -hmm. at the people, uh, the biggest figures throughout the Bible, some of them came from pretty unexpected places. They weren't yeah. always the best people, but they became the best mm -hmm. because... They trust in God, and he guides them to where they need to be. Yeah, my friend and I were just talking about the um, biblical story of Jonah last night and how, you know, he was terrified, but God led him through it, even, even when he didn't want to go at first. <laughs> but, you know, if, like, God led him to do that, and then he led him through that. And I think that, you know, even though these stories feel like they sometimes can feel like that happened so long ago. The themes are so universal that we can see them in our own lives. Yeah, absolutely. I think in Jonah's case, part of the reason, like, I think part of the reason he was so scared to go to Assyria, well, well two reasons. One, these are mm -hmm. the same people who had 
who were like attacking, who took out Israel, were probably going out of Judah. And two, he was concerned that like, what if God wants to pass the blessing onto them? That's ultimately not what happened at that moment. But I think what was really, I was really trying to show Jonah was that um, not only does he want to save the Jewish people, he does want to, but he wants to ultimately save everyone. That's one of the earliest examples of like the true overarching message that God desires in the day for all men to be saved. Now, will everyone be saved? Uh, probably not. However, every single person on this earth has the opportunity to be saved. They have the chance to go to God, the chance to do what is right. But the thing about love is that um, the reason why we can love, why we can choose, why we're not just machines, because God could have just created a bunch of like um, beings that just do whatever he wanted. I mean, he already has this with the angels before, but he wanted beings not only whom he could love, but who could love him back. But in order to love, you need to choose. And mm -hmm. the thing about choice is that, and the freedom to choose it, because we can do that, we can choose to do the right, we can choose to do good, because we're made for good. Mm -hmm. But we can also choose the opposite. We can choose yeah. what's often, in fact, more often than not, sometimes we <laughs> choose what is bad, awful, terrible for us. Yeah. And and there's that temptation there. Um, but the fascinating thing about idolatry, for example, is that we don't tend to worship like, it's kind of, it's not just like bowing down to statues. It's not just like mm -hmm. worshiping like a piece of paper, for example. Typically, idolatry is when you put anything above God, because yeah. ultimately, God, you can, and not say you can't like other stuff, you absolutely can. You have hobbies, interests, things on those lines, but whatever it is, it cannot be greater than your love for the Lord. It cannot trump God. If it does, that's a huge problem, and you need yes. to address that. Exactly. Now, you still have to like throw the baby out with the bathwater, but you should at least be able to modify it so that it's not consuming your life. Mm -hmm. For example, with like knitting, for instance, like God gave you the ability. He gave you the hands to knit. He created the natural fibers that like knitting stuff, like yarn, knitting stuff, wow, that yarn is taken from. And so if we were to put like knitting or any other hobby or any other thing, you know, in that spot, wouldn't be just and it wouldn't be right and it wouldn't be a proper stewardship of our resources definitely and i don't know who said this a good friend of mine once said that like everyone has a god-shaped hole in their heart that only god himself can fill and that was jess oh really? she's in chat <laughs> awesome yeah so yeah but once the good thing is once god is in there Oh, man, life's going to be so much better. Now, it may not be easy, per se. You know, he didn't say we have an easy life. We're going to have challenges, obstacles, mm -hmm. and struggles. But by letting him in and by walking with him, it's going to make the ultimate journey so much better. And it may not go the way that you expect. It might not even go the way that you want. But it's mm -hmm. going to be a path that's going to lead to so much satisfaction that when you get to the other side and, you know, you're face-to-face -face with God, you know you made the right call. Yeah, there's so many times that, you know, we've all faced different variations of heartbreak along the way. And I know that a lot of things that I thought it was going to be the best thing ever, this is how it was supposed to turn out. And then all of a sudden, it didn't turn out that way. Either it was a betrayal and like the point, like the cold poison just like crept into like my joint marrow. And I was like, yeah, no, this is horrible. But then that led me to something else that I never would have experienced beforehand if I hadn't gone through that or I wouldn't have gained that empathy or I wouldn't have gained you know whatever or I wouldn't have been in a position where I you know had a higher calling if I was just relying on you know what felt good 
Now, what does the intersection of faith and personal growth look like in your life? Um, I think a lot of that is in prayer. Prayer is a huge component of that. It's actually how I best get in touch uh, with the Lord. And the interesting thing about God is they communicate you in multiple different ways, mm-hmm. one of which is um, directly. He can actually talk directly to you. And if you listen closely enough, you can hear his voice and you can talk directly to him instead of just talking at him, which is temptation in prayer. You mm-hmm. can also hear his voice through scripture. So as you're reading the Bible, you're essentially hearing God's voice, but on paper. And depending on what you read it, they can actually help to guide you through a particular day. I mean, it may not always be like super relevant to your day, but it's going to be something that's going to ultimately help you in the long term mm-hmm. if you allow it to. And there could also be things that happen, like, for example, if you're like really stuck and trying to find something and it just stumbles upon, that could be God guiding you towards that path. And it could even be like from the voice of other people. When especially they're saying stuff that they wouldn't usually say, it goes, oh, that's quite fascinating. Why, mm-hmm. why would they say that? So, it, yeah, God has many of your voices can kill you. And as long as you're listening, you're paying attention, and you're mm-hmm. being discerning about that, that can help you on your journey. And that's been very helpful for me and mm-hmm. why I've been able to grow in the faith as much as I have. One of the things for me, you know, an example of this that you're talking about actually happened today. I was I was having a bit of a rough day and one of my friends knew that I was having a bit of a rough day and she called me and she prayed over me for about, it was like a five minute phone call. And that was like the most meaningful part of my day up until that point. And it just helped me turn everything around, which is why I think it's always so important to also look at ways where we can be blessings to our fellow believers and to others as well. Um, one of the other questions I had for you, which has kind of been on my heart lately, is do you think that all Christians should pray for the Pope? I would say yes, and here's why. So the the concept behind the Pope is actually uh, based, uh, is a fundamental root in how a lot of kingdoms were structured back in the days of ancient Israel, mm-hmm. where um, you would have the king who was at the top, he's the leader, but typically mm-hmm. what would happen is kings would actually go off to battle a lot, either to fight other kings, warring bandits, and so someone needed to be in charge while the king was away. And mm-hmm. in the place of the king, there's what they call the al Habaites, which translates from Hebrew as prime minister. Oh. So while the king is away and he's um, doing his thing, the prime minister will be the one who run the nation, govern the people, make sure things are still getting done while the king mm-hmm. is away. So when he comes back, things are in order. He still has a kingdom to come home to. In a similar sense, you know, Christ is the king. Jesus is the king. He's the king mm-hmm. of the church. And well, right now he's not with us. He is in heaven. But while he's away, he essentially established. It actually happens in the gospels as well, where he puts his hand on Peter and he said. Simon, your name will be Peter, and from this, and you are the rock, and from this, I will build the church. And Peter, essentially the first pope of the one of the Catholic Church, and every single pope since then has been a successor of Peter in various ways, shapes, or form. And the thing about the Al Habid as well is that with the him is that it's not just a father to the Catholic Church; mm-hmm. he is a father to every single person on this earth who has accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so, when you're praying for the pope, you're it's not so much like it's like you're worshiping him. It's more in the sense that you are interceding on his behalf uh, for the Lord. And of course, the Pope himself is praying to God. But the idea is that you are joining your prayers uh, to the Pope, who in turn is praying directly to God in order to not only guide him specifically, but also allow him to lead the church in the best way possible, regardless of the times and circumstances of the year he may find himself in. That makes a lot of sense. 
can I ask you a question? Like a genuine, honest to goodness, Dr. Arnick. I don't know what the answer to this is, which is my way of saying, I hope this isn't offensive, but I've heard some people call the Pope the Red Pope. Does that have any special significance or meaning or what does, do you know what that means? Because I don't. I don't know. I've heard of that. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I okay. heard, this is my first time hearing of this. Uh, I was in the space the other night and I heard somebody call him that like a couple times and I'm like, what does that mean? And then I figured I'd ask like some of my Catholic friends to see if they like knew, but that's fine. Um, now, one thing I did want to bring up in chat is, where is it? Where is my, Okay. Y'all know I have the two monitors running, so bear with me. <laughs> oh, it's right here where it says, someone once said that instead of what would Jesus do, we should explore W-I-J-I-T, where is Jesus in this? Oh, that's a fascinating concept. I've heard of that before. Um, I can see how that could work too. I, I think it's a similar in, in the veins of like trying to... Um, sort of guide your life in a way that like God wants you to lead and just mm. sort of analyzing the situations. Cause like the thing about the, that's the fascinating part is that you can tend to give anything to God, like anything you do, like any work, any service, any deed can be given to God and he can bless it and glorify it and can help you in that path. Mm. And but the thing is, you got to give it to him first. It's not just going to happen magically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got to give it to him. You got to let him in and, you know, let him do his thing and trust that he will, do what he has promised i think that sometimes it can be when we're dealing with really heavy things sometimes it takes not just the faith to bring it to god in prayer but also the faith that kind of keeps it up there like if we like throw it up to him that he'll you know catch it and hold on to it so that sometimes when we I guess, like, lose a bit of that faith just because we're so stressed with all of the things that we're going through. It can kind of come back down on us and, like, crush us a little bit. So really trying to have that faith in our Heavenly Father who loves us and who will take care of us and who's seen all of us through all sorts of trials and tribulations and really turning to him and knowing that he has our backs because he created all of us in our mother's womb. Yeah, here's the fascinating thing about God. I think there's an arsenic rail, and she did like a whole post on this matter. It was along the lines of this, where it's like the thing about promises is that we may forget what God's promised to us, but God does not. He is so faithful that even if you forget about a promise He made to you, He will fulfill it. Maybe not in the way that you expect it, but it's going. But if He promised you that something is going to happen, that He's going to do something for you, He will do it. You can trust Him because He's not like some, some, some dude who just does whatever. No, He is firm. He is true. We see throughout the scriptures of people who uh, most amazing, miraculous things have happened because the Lord say true. The most famous example I can think of is actually in the very beginning with um, Abraham, where he promised him time and time again that he was going to have a son. And Abraham was, and at the beginning, Abraham struggled a bit at first. He was like, oh, a slave's going to be my son. Or when he had Ishmael, Ishmael's going to be here. He's like, no, it's not going to be a slave. It won't be Ishmael. It will be a son by your wife, Sarah. And that child is going to go on to form this people, they will have a royal dynasty, and it will bring worldwide blessings that will ultimately save everyone. And that all came to pass over the course of nearly 2,000 years, which is truly incredible. Especially yeah. when you, like, we did a holding it's time, or like, I've been doing it. It's amazing to see how all that came to pass. Yeah. And I think 
I forget exactly what number it is, but there was like an astronomical amount of prophecies that had like from that point to Jesus being born and giving himself up for us that all had to come true. And it's like, it, I'm bad at math. I cannot compute that number. But um, Jess actually did a really great special with Elise on it over on Quirks of Creation, which was, oh my gosh, it was amazing to watch. Yeah, I like this for the God is like, you know, like promise keeper because that's that is a part of who he is. He is the kind of he is a, such a good dad that he will when he promises something, know that he will deliver. And have faith that they do that. And they even say in the scriptures that like when you pray on something, believe that you've already received it and it'll be yours. And that and that takes a great amount, not just amount of faith to bring on the first place, but a great amount of trust and that it'll come to pass. You know, especially in regards to my own situation regarding like you know, marriage. You know, I want to get married since I was very free. I was one of the rare people in my generation who actually wants to get married and have mm -hmm. kids, which is kind of uncommon in my generation. Most people just want to, like, you know, drink and party or what have you, but mm -hmm. I was a little different there. But, you know, I don't know how he's going to do it, but I know the Lord's going to guide me to the right person and everything will just hopefully work from there. <laughs> Lord willing, of course. <laughs> yeah. It, I feel so, like it's so on my heart. I have so many amazing single friends who, you know, are looking to marry only in the Lord to really have that amazing Christian marriage. And it's so tough. Like there's so many struggles y'all face today, which is why I keep all of you in my prayers like every day. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> of course. I mean, that's what friends are for. Um, how, what does the active participation look like for you in your Catholic community? That's a fascinating one. So, yeah, I attend Mass weekly. I do that. And uh, usually during the service, after the Mass, I'm, I'm always in the being like the door guy. Like, I'm the guy that just holds the door, lets everybody through. Um, sometimes I'll, like, you know, greet everyone during communion and stuff. I will say this though, um, I think when I was in college, I was definitely a lot more involved in the community because when I was in college, I was a part of the music ministry, which is the crew responsible for like the music at the mass. And mm -hmm. I actually led the ministry for half of my college career. So that was really fun. I was on That's the board and we would plan out all these different activities. So it was really, really great. I was heavily involved in there because, mm -hmm. um, you know, I basically spent a sort of a time there and it was a wonderful thing. I think as I got back home, unfortunately I've been doing that as much uh part of the reason why is because uh i don't know how long i'm gonna be here i think my parents will be out within the next year or two to another state and mm -hmm. i my guess my biggest concern is i want to like pick because i didn't really like i said i wasn't really into the faith till like much much later by the time i really mm -hmm. got into the faith i was already off to college like so didn't really have the foundation here in my hometown yeah. and i want to start that now and then leave in less than a year uh, I just didn't be a great disservice to those involved. I think at this point, much easier if I just, um, if I were to move wherever I go, just start over from there. I think that'd yeah. just be easier and fair for all parties involved. I can definitely see the discernment in that and the, you know, care for your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, which is really lovely. Yeah, it's like, it's not that I don't care for them, it's that I don't want to risk getting too attached to point where I kind of want to leave because I have mm -hmm. too many girls here. Like, yeah, especially in the state that you live in, too. <laughs> don't worry, I'm not going to dox you. We both know where each other live because we yeah. live in the same region. <laughs> don't worry. I'm not going to do that. Um, one thing that Susie Q in the chat says that the most important thing in finding a mate is being equally yoked. She can say this because she was rebellious and chose a non-believer. Praise Jesus, he is now a Christ-filled man, but that's rare. Pick a mate that loves the Lord more than you. Ooh, fascinating. 
Well, I already, lo- I already loved Arnold and Howard Martin's Soul Strike. At least I tried to be. So uh, whoever I marry, that's going to be second place. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one of the other questions I had is, how do you approach the liturgical calendar? And are there specific seasons or feasts that hold special significance to you? Yeah, so I think as I started getting more into the faith, I started understanding the patterns a lot more. Uh, typically, for those who don't know, what they heard of the calendar actually starts with Advent, which starts in December. Mm-hmm. So this is basically the celebration of leading up to the birth of Jesus. And we kind of highlight like what was happening leading up to that, how that all went down, wonderful was there. And then there's Christmas, which is a season. Now, contrary to popular opinion, Christmas is not is a day. It is, in fact, a week, several week long event that actually concluded, I think, just about two weeks ago. So after this season, we entered the first period of ordinary time, which is pretty brief. Mm-hmm. And then after that, we hint to Lent. And essentially how this works is the priest would put the ash on your forehead and essentially you would give something up during that time period. Typically mm-hmm. something that you love, something you care for, uh, something that you might have difficulty parting with, but as Nagar serves the Lord, you mm-hmm. would give that up. And for the next four days, you just would not do this. So, for example, if it was like, oh, you're going to give up pizza, you would have pizza for a month. If it was like, um, I don't know, like podcasting, you would not do that. Um, But it could also be something fairly serious, too. Like, let's say you you had a uh, porn addiction, for example, and you wanted to purge that. You can give it up during Lent. And in that scenario, it's... It's actually really good because it could be an opportunity to purge not only like practice discernment and like living without something, but mm-hmm. also purge really nasty habits that are serving a relationship with God. You can yeah. use the opportunity to force that, get rid of that, put you in a much, much better spot, especially in this culture where I feel like it's more difficult ever before to not yeah. get involved in lust with even like your average TV show having some form of soft core pornography. It's not yeah. easy to avoid. And I commend anyone who can like, um, resist that especially those who didn't get in the first place i'm saying someone who used to have a porn addiction but thankfully threw it out the window and a much better man because of it praise jesus that is so hard i've had you know different people that were close to me struggle with it before in the past and it's so like as somebody who you know hasn't necessarily struggled with that aspect of it i can still see how easy it is in such a pornified culture to fall into that even as a conservative even as a christian because it's literally everywhere like i had a friend um that worked at a store and the they had a colleague who was like a brand ambassador for that store and they followed her and then their entire feed was basically filled with soft core to you know other things that weren't necessarily allowed on instagram all about like in that industry of like the products that they sold but it was just it would not stop and then i've noticed too because my friend tried to create a new account after that that if you're a man and you're on instagram that the algorithm, like, because you have to, like, be like, oh, this is who I am, blah, blah, blah. That if you don't say that you're a guy, it won't feed it to you as much. It's so weird. Like, the algorithm on that is absolutely insane. And I think there's, like, some conspiracy type of ickiness over there. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know the guys who were conspiracy did a whole episode on depopulation agenda. I think that was part of that. I'm not really sure. But they yeah. Did- will think about like how essentially this whole the way things are these days is designed to desensitize getting married desensitize having kids desensitize you know being an upright citizen ultimately culminating in just a gradual depopulation of the planet which 
it sounds like conspiracy at first, but the more you like to realize, you know, maybe there's something on this other here. Maybe they're on the system. Yeah. For sure. That was a really intense episode because it just kept coming and we're like, oh, yep. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But wait, there's more. <laughs> yeah. there There's a lot of craziness out there right now when it comes to having kids and all of it. <laughs> yeah, I think this is a guy who wants like 12 to 15 kids at the maximum and like I don't know how feasible it is unless like we get a depression everything's like like I don't know a dollar for bread that'd be really nice <laughs> right <laughs> speaking of there was actually just a uh a pregnancy announcement that ended up on screen because it was in my chat <laughs> and Mario also wants us to know that pregnant women aren't required to fast during Lent interesting that, that is interesting. <laughs> um, so before we get into our Twitter section, would you like to lead us in a prayer and then we can go check out over there? Uh, sure, absolutely. All right. Let's Thank get you. Hello, Father. Thank you so much for this good day. Thank you so much for uh, the stream and this opportunity to discuss the faith with my fellow brothers and sisters in the faith, and thank you so much for leading me on this journey. I know this path hasn't been easy. It hasn't been joyful, but I know ultimately this is going to lead to somewhere great. You've been working through me. You've been guiding me all this way. You know the desires of my heart. You know where I seek to be. You know what I've been striving for. And you will be through it all, through the best of times and the worst of times. I ask now to be with each and every one of my brothers and sisters in the faith, both here in this call and elsewhere, that you help to guide us and lead us to where you called us to be. You help us to fulfill the role you've called us to be in this great plan of salvation of yours, and that <clears throat> and that you find a way to um, ultimately grant us the, the true and everlasting peace you promise each and all of us when we get to meet you on the other side. In my name is Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. I make this prayer. Amen. Amen. Um, so some of the Twitter questions that we have will be right after this. Um, thank you everyone for coming out. Audio listeners, make sure to leave a five-star review. We'll be reading them on stream. Come on over to Rumble if you want to catch our special Twitter question section. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, kindly do me a favor and leave me a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. My podcast is available wherever you can listen, and it's also available live on Rumble on Tuesday evenings at 7 p.m. Eastern. I hope you can join us in whatever format works best for you. Please tell somebody that you care about about this episode so that I can spread my work and encourage more people. And remember, stay based and stay blessed.